Everybody knows everything about leprosy now, so that's very cool. Um, and I'll just tell you, it is a blessing to have people that can teach the Word of God. It's just, it's a real blessing. So thank you for that, because uh, it's very helpful. Uh, we're going to continue on. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for today. Uh, this is the time we have. This is the moment we have. This is our opportunity to go deeper into your Word, to understand you a little bit more, and in the process, see ourselves. Help us, God, to be open to what's going to happen in this room in the next hour. Help us to set aside the things going on outside this room and truly focus on your word, your truth, and how we can apply it and surrender to it. So we love you. We thank you. Uh, guide us. Walk us through your scriptures in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to look at another story today. Uh, let me read it to you, and then we will start talking about this. Um, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst of before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and walk and go home. And immediately he rose before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we've seen extraordinary things today. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. We're in the middle of a section of scripture where, you know, sometimes when you see these stories and you notice how they just one after the other almost like um, when uh, he's writing this passage it's just kind of it looks like random thoughts right oh yeah there was this leper oh yeah there was this leper oh yeah there's this thing over here oh yeah he did this oh yeah he did that and we tend to think that's what's happening okay but Jewish people are very particular and Greek about what they're saying, why they're saying it now, why they're connecting it. Nothing with them is random. The one thing about Greek, and nothing's ever random. It's not like, it may be out of order, but it's out of order for a reason. Okay, if it's a time order that's off, it's off for a reason. We're going to look at really three, four stories here in a row that connect together, that if you don't step back and look at them, you may miss exactly what they're trying to say, Okay. So remember that we started out um, with um, Jesus calling his first disciples, right? So he goes out, remember that Peter, James, they're all over there by the water. He calls them out. He calls them his disciples. Then we seem to have this sort of random event where he cleanses a leper. Then he's going to heal a paralytic, we just read. Then he's going to call Levi, okay? And then we're going to read about a banquet that Matthew, Levi, throws, okay? And one of the things that's happening here is they're trying to show us a few things. And um, one of the things that they're trying to show us here is that this Jesus was not a normal person. He wasn't the typical rabbi. He's going out of his way to do specific things okay so when you look at him healing the leper that you talked about last week okay there were two problems with that one was he's healing the wrong people you don't heal outcasts you heal the people that deserve it okay and he's healing them in the wrong way he shouldn't have touched them he should have been far away from them he should have healed them from a distance so one of the first things they're saying is, look, he's healing the wrong people and he's doing it the wrong way. Okay, now we have a paralytic, okay? And we know from the 
book of Mark, who also records this, that this happened in Capernaum. It's possible it happened at Peter's house, uh, mother-in-law's house, because typically when Jesus went to Capernaum, that's where they went to, right? Okay, we don't know for sure, but it's possible. It says on one of those days, okay, in other words, he's, he's in the area. Remember, he says, I must go to other towns. I must go to other places. He's now in the process of doing that. Also notice that something very important happens between the healing of the leper and what's happening with this paralytic man. Do you see anything that happened between those two events? In verse 16, he, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Okay? We tend to think that Jesus is some kind of supernatural floating above human existence, going from place to place, working incessantly, never stopping. But he's very human, and ministry can be very draining. And he keeps, you'll see him over and over, go at particular times and just reconnect. And he's sending a message to us too. We can't go nonstop without plugging in. Okay, we're like lithium batteries. You can serve a while in your own power. But if you don't stop and plug in and recharge with the Father, eventually you're just going to run out of power. Okay? And so in many ways, that's what Jesus did. So it says, Jesus is teaching. Now, the Pharisees show up, right? And so let's talk for a minute about the groups that were in the Bible. Um, there were four groups of Jews, really, that are mentioned in the Bible. Four uh, religious parties, if you will. Okay, we have the Pharisees. We have the Sadducees, we have the Zealots, and we have the Essenes. Okay, those are really the four groups that you need to know of Jewish people in the Bible. Okay, the Essenes were the people who they felt like Jerusalem had become way too pagan. That the big city, things were happening there that weren't of God. And so they moved out into the desert and they were uh, the ultra Amish of the day. They were kind of set aside. They didn't want to go into the big city. That's where all the sin was happening. They set themselves out in the desert. They kept the scrolls. They made sure everything was right. They cleansed themselves four or five times a day in mikvah baths. They lived out in Qumran where we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay, so that's that group. Those are the Essenes. Very strict, very orthodox. Um, if you saw them today, they have the curly uh, stuff on their beard. They're very, so they're very strict. Okay, then in addition to the Essenes, you have the Zealots, okay? Now, the Zealots were Jewish people who were terrorists. That's their job, okay? They believed their responsibility was to kill the Romans at every opportunity. The Zealots carried in their, in their cloak a little bitty knife that was about that long and went around their fingers. And their whole desire all day long was to find a Roman that they could get to and kill them, Okay? They're zealots. They want Rome overthrown and they want to do it by violence. Okay. They're in no way anything other than a terrorist organization. Okay. Now, that's important to realize because one of them is going to become what? A disciple. Okay. So just remember that. So Jesus is not only healing people, the wrong people in the wrong way. He's calling the wrong people to be his disciples. Fishermen. I mean, there's no doubt the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they all show up to hear him teach because he's now named four disciples. And they're not the people that they would have thought. In fact, most of them would have thought, well, it should be me. Okay, so we have the Pharisees, or we have the Essenes, we have the Zealots, and then we have the Sadducees. Okay, who are the Sadducees? People who are sad, you see. And why are they sad, you see? I've done this joke a hundred times from the pulpit. Why are they sad? They don't believe that there's an afterlife. That's right. They do not believe in the resurrection. That is why they are sad, you see. Okay, so that's all you got to remember. They don't believe in the resurrection. So Jesus can't be a Messiah. There's no resurrection. There's no afterlife. You live on earth. You do your thing. And then you have the group of Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? Teachers. Teachers. Okay, teachers. Are they priests? No. They no? were in the synagogue. They're, they're rabbis. Huh? Yeah. Aren't they rabbis? They're rabbis. No. Huh? The Pharisees are lay people. 
Really? They're not in the priestly line. They have no role and responsibility in the priestly activities. They're a group of lay people who have decided to be boss. Okay? And they're a non-priestly, separatist movement, and their goal was above all costs to enforce Mosaic law. Okay? They were the moral majority. They were the... They were the what? Uh, Yes. Their job was to live very pious, very judgmental lives and to point out to everybody whenever they failed Mosaic law. That was their job. A lot of people, when they read the Pharisees, they think that they were like the leaders of the synagogue. They weren't. They were lay people uh, who had given themselves that position. Okay? So... We now have Pharisees and teachers of the law in verse 17. Who are the teachers of the law? The actual rabbis, right? So you'll notice every time in the Bible, they'll separate those two groups. Okay? So the, the, um, the Pharisees really weren't teachers at all. They were judges. They were not judges in the sense of judging, but they were the hypercritical social media blast you from afar, critique everything you do, and have no responsibility kind of people. Does that make sense? Now, to their credit, they really thought that, much like the Zealots did, they really thought that enforcing Mosaic law would please God. Okay? The, and if you look at these, each of these groups have a different way of pleasing God. Okay? So the Essenes said, we're going to separate ourselves, go away, and please God. Okay? In other words, we're going to get out of here because these people are sinful, okay? They took the, uh, let's, go, uh, let's go into the commune and never come out again, right? Let's go to the monastery and hide, okay? That's basically what the Essenes did. Could you spell that, please? E-S-S-E-N-E-S. Um, and just so you know, most people thought John the Baptist was one of them, um, that he lived out in the desert, that he knew the scriptures, that he lived out near the Jordan, which is where the Essenes were, that um, he was very strict that the idea of baptism came from their mikvah baths they did to purify themselves before they copied the word of God. So uh, some people, many people believe John the Baptist was part of that sect. And the area was called Qumran, which is where basically the scrolls were found. Uh, Frank, how would somebody become a Pharisee or a Sadducee? Yeah, it, family it would be a family thing. It would also be a who knows who. Okay. And it's sort of like, how do you become a... Uh, Influencer? Uh, I want to say like, I don't know. How do you become a Shriner or something? I mean, it's just they they somehow fit into the process and they become uh, that sort of thing. Basically, they drink the same Kool-Aid. That's basically how it works. So you get the Essenes who are basically hiding from sin and sinful people. Then you have the Zealots who are going to save Israel by killing its opponents. Then you have the Pharisees. They're going to save Israel by turning everybody back to Mosaic law. Okay? And then you have the Sadducees who are like, why are y'all even dealing with all this? We're not going anywhere after this anyway. Let's make this the best we can. Let's just all get along. So you have those different groups, four different groups. Okay. Now, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, what are they doing? Sitting. What does that mean? Yeah. Remember I said position is always important in the Bible. Okay, so Jesus says in verse 17, on those days as he was teaching, okay, Pharisees um, and teachers of the law had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Okay, so that's a pretty long walk. They are all sitting. Why? Because they believe they're in a position of authority, teaching. Right? So in many ways, they're actually teaching or think they're teaching by sitting down when someone else is teaching. Okay? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, now, um, we are told the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Isn't the power of the Lord always with Jesus to heal? Yes. What do you think that means? Yeah, I mean, I think what, what he's saying is you could feel it in the room. Even though these people are sitting, 
even though they think they're important, even though they think they're the best, that's the guy that has the power, okay? You can feel it in the room, okay? And so the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, okay, now when it says and behold, that usually means something surprising is about to happen, okay? Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Why? To be, to be healed, okay? So that makes sense. So they have a guy, you know, excuse us, excuse us, excuse us. We're going to Jesus. He needs to be healed. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. Who's the crowd? The rabbis and the, rabbis and the Pharisees. Okay. Who's keeping this man from Jesus? Right. Ah. The very people who are supposed to receive someone like this, but they're not receiving it. Did they get up and move out of the way and go stand up so this guy could come to Jesus? No, they weren't going to do anything. They're in the way. And because this isn't just a group of five. We have, it says, we have Pharisees and teachers of the law from every village of Galilee. That's at least 12, probably 15 villages. And Judea and Jerusalem. Okay, so we're talking about probably 40, 50 people in someone's house. Wow. Okay. And you can't get in. And the picture of this is always that, oh, there's all these people being healed. They're flocking to Jesus. The building's full. No, the building's full of people sitting who think they should be teaching. Okay? And they're missing the very essence of what's really happening here. So you have a group of people who are trying to bring their friend to Jesus. Okay? Now, um, they can't get in. So they go up on the roof. Okay, now, the way roofs were made in the first century, they're flat. Um, and typically they had tile. And then under the tile, they would have some kind of grass layering. Under that, they would have some kind of mud layering. And under that, they'd have the room. Okay? So Jesus is teaching. The Pharisees are sitting there. And all of a sudden, the roof starts to undo. And dirt starts to fall. Okay, now... If, if we said this guy was five feet tall, we're talking about a hole as big as this table. So the first thing that people see is dirt falling in these hands. I mean, you got to picture this. I mean, we always say, oh, like there was some opening. No, it wasn't a chimney. They actually had to tear apart the roof of someone's house. Okay. Now, that might be a problem all by itself. So Jesus is talking, and as he's talking, the roof above starts to dwindle now you got to imagine this the beauty of this is jesus knows about what's going to happen he's not surprised and everybody in the room is like and everybody in the room are sitting sadducees who think they have nothing to learn okay and the people in the front row are getting dusty totally dusty right and that's probably offended and and so um absolutely and so and he even says and uh, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. What's the midst? The, the people. The dust from all the dust. things that are falling. So, I mean, you got a picture of what they're doing. This is so incredible. Okay, and so Jesus sees this man on a mat. Now, notice something really important here. Nobody said anything. Okay? They didn't yell down, hey, Jesus, heal our friend. Right? They didn't ask for that. Okay? And yet Jesus looks up and he sees the faces of four or five guys who just lowered their friend on a mat. They're probably sweating and covered in dust and they just opened up the roof and they don't know if they're going to be arrested. They don't know what they're going to do. Uh, in this passage, I call them his ceiling fans. Uh, <laughs> I know. And I made that one up myself. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was from a sermon about four years ago. Anyway, so his ceiling fans are up there looking down, trying to see what he's going to do. Okay, now, Jesus has the attention of everybody. What do you think the Pharisees expected him to do? Probably get angry. Yeah. About Why what? Why would you do this? Why would you yeah, disturb my disturbing their okay you just tore up somebody's roof that's at least probably a misdemeanor um, what else well they're they're who they are and these peasants have just gotten in the way of their teaching and okay in theory they just cut in line 
right? Okay, now the other thing is, they have now forced Jesus to do something. Oh, yeah. Right? They forced Jesus to do something. Oh, the friends. Yeah, because this guy's now in front of him. He was teaching. They interrupted his teaching. And now this dude is here. He's got to do something. Right? So the Pharisees could very well think he's about to explode here. They interrupted his teaching. They ruined a roof. They bring this guy on a mat that's paralyzed. This he's is not good. He's obviously a sinner. Obviously a sinner. A horrible person, probably. He's punished. He's paralyzed. He's not. He's the beggar that's out on the street trying to get money. And what does it tell you about this guy that's paralyzed, though? He's got good friends. He's got good friends, <laughs> and that means he's probably he's a pretty got cool guy. In high places. Yes. <laughs> and he's probably he's probably a pretty cool dude, right? And it also probably tells you that he hasn't been paralyzed since birth, because people who were paralyzed from birth were shunned for the most part. That was God's punishment on them for something they or their parents did. This guy probably had an accident or something, had friends, and now he's paralyzed. Okay? Now, these friends want nothing more than to see him healed. Okay? Do they believe Jesus can do that? They've heard the stories. They've heard the stories. Well, and they took the action. They would not have brought him here. Okay? They took the action. They did not only take the action, they persevered through the action. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay? In other words, when they got there and it was crowded... They, they, they didn't care. They were getting him to Jesus. Uh-huh. Okay, now, there's something important to notice here is they didn't ask Jesus to do anything. They didn't tell him to do anything. They didn't say among themselves, maybe if we get him down there, he'll heal him. There's no mention of any discussion. They just went up on the roof because they knew if they could get this guy to the feet of Jesus, whatever needed to happen would happen. Okay? There's a message in that for us in healing as well. Um I almost never pray for somebody that's got a medical problem without bringing this story up. And I tell them, you know, God, just like the people who lowered their friend on a mat, that's what we're doing here. We don't know what to do. We don't know what the right thing is to do. But we know if we can get them to you, you'll take care of it, whatever that is. Okay? So notice the power of what these men are doing. Now, it's interesting. It says in verse 20, and when he saw their faith, Okay, who is he talking about? The friends. The friends. The friends. When he saw their faith. Okay, now, do you think the person on the map had no faith? No. No, he didn't have a say in the matter. Did he need to have faith? Yes. I think so. Would Jesus have healed him if he had no faith? No. Well, he... Hmm. I think if he didn't have his friends, he might not have tried to rise and walk. Okay, well, let me put it this way. Guys, guys, don't bother. It's, uh, the question is, when does he have faith? Okay, so here's the issue. It's a pretty miraculous thing when you're paralyzed to think that any chance you have at all of being normal again. I mean, it's just, I mean, even if you have faith that Jesus is a healer, there's a difference between he's a healer and he will heal me. Okay, big difference. Okay, I mean... You can believe Jesus heals people, but to go, but he heals me. That's a big statement, right? That's a lot to believe. In fact, I think in this group, it was harder for the paralytic man to believe than anybody else in the room. Okay, Because chances are over time he had his hopes up at one point. Or maybe he thought there was a chance this was temporary. Maybe he thought, and now he's to the point where his friends are carrying him around on a mat. First of all, that's relatively degrading, right? And now they've lowered him in front of this healer guy. And so the message, the story here says nothing about his faith. For all we know, he is an absolute non-believer, no faith, nothing. Okay? We're not told, so we can't presume. But we can understand, perhaps, why it would be so hard for him to imagine he could be healed. I mean, you can just picture that. So he says, and when he saw their faith, okay, so Jesus sees the faith of men. What does that tell you about your prayers and your faith around people you know who are sick? Counts for something. Counts for something. Counts for a lot. Counts for a lot. Prayers of the righteous man availeth much. Right? Okay, now, where else do we see this pattern in the Bible? Uh, This idea of praying for people? In passage... um, 
It says, if any of you sick, if any of you ill, come to the elders of the church. Let them anoint you with with oil. Confess your sins and you'll be healed. Okay? Most people have no idea what that passage is about. Okay? They think that it's some kind of miraculous thing elders do. That if you just get the elders together and they anoint them with oil, that it's like putting the right thing in a slot machine and out comes a healing. That's not what that passage is about at all. This pass, that passage is about spiritual healing. Okay, here's what the passage basically says. Many people who get sick, physically ill, begin to struggle with their faith. They're exhausted, they're tired, they're spiritually worn down. They don't have in them the right process to pray. They're beaten down and exhausted. Okay, if any of you are sick, if any of you are ill, go to the elders of the church. Okay. Why do you go to the elders of the church? Not because they have miraculous healing power, but because the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Okay, so what it says is, look, if you're too weak, if you're being beat down spiritually, if you're exhausted, surround yourself with spiritual people who can lift you up, okay? Who can encourage you, who can put strength back in you spiritually. That passage is all about go to the elders and let them encourage you. Let them pray for you. Let them anoint you, okay? And then it says, and if you have sinned, your sins will be forgiven. Okay? Now, does that mean everybody's illness is related to sin? No. What is the sin that they need to be forgiven of? Losing their stamina and their faith. Okay? It's not terrible. I mean, every one of us, if we're put in the right situation, we'll begin to wear down spiritually. We'll get exhausted. We won't know what to do. Right, Life will be so overwhelming for us that we can't lift our heads up. Our prayers will get to the point where we can't even speak, so the Holy Spirit has to speak for us. And what the scriptures say is when that happens, come to the elders of the church. Let them hold you up. Let them pray over you. Let them build you up spiritually, just like holding up arms during a battle. You don't have the strength to pray. You have the potentially, the, if, it says if you have sinned, you have the sin of non-belief. But we, your brothers in Christ, who are more spiritually mature than we are, are going to take you under our wing, lift you up to God in prayer, and through our faith, then maybe he will see through that faith what you need. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so this is playing out that same process. Mm -hmm. Okay, This guy's probably tired, fatigued, exhausted, has not really, maybe he's lost faith, maybe he just doesn't have the faith he would need. Um, But in any event, the scriptures are clear that it's the faith of his friends that moves Jesus' heart. Okay? And so we read here, it says, he saw their faith and he said, what do you expect him to say? What are you guys doing? Yeah. <laughs> what, what you expect him to say is, get up, pick up your mat, fix the roof, and leave. Right? Okay, but he doesn't say that. He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Okay? What an odd thing to say. I mean, that's not what you expect him to say. Another paralytic man comes to him. He says, take up your mat and walk. This guy, he says, your sins are forgiven you. Okay, what sin is he forgiving? Think back to the elders. What sin is he forgiving? The waning faith. Probably the waning of his faith. Okay, it's possible, right? So, because it's more possible that his sin to forgive is waning of his faith than that his sin has caused his paralysis. So maybe he has a bad attitude. Yeah, whatever. Whatever it is, okay? Now, why can't man forgive sin? Because that's for God to do. Why? Because God is sovereign. God is sovereign, okay. So if Tom does something to me, and he sins against me. And he comes to me and he says, Frank, will you forgive him? And I say, yes. Have I forgiven his sins? Against no. you. You've forgiven the offense against you. I've, I've forgiven the offense against me. Okay. Why can I not forgive his sin? Between him and God. Because the offense was with God. Okay. Every time you sin, the sin offense is with God, not with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Now that sin will have impact on somebody else. Okay, you can ask somebody else, please forgive me because I realize that in my anger, this is what happened and it impacted you. Please forgive me for what I've done to affect you. 
But the actual forgiveness of sin, the sin of anger or the sin of whatever happened, that can only come from God because he's the only one that's offended. Okay? When David was faced with Bathsheba and he's confronted, his first comment is, I have sinned against God and God alone. He knew immediately, my problem here is not this way, it's this way. Now, because it's this way, there's going to be impact, and I've got to go out and work on that. But my initial problem is with God. Okay? We tend to think that as long as we interact horizontally with regard to our sin, that everything's okay. And we often forget to go vertically in addition to that. Okay, so for instance, let's say I did something that offended Tom. And I go to him and say, Tom, man, I'm sorry. I don't know what was going on. It's just, please forgive me. And of course, he's going to say yes. We're not done yet. Okay, I haven't been forgiven. You understand that? So I've got to go to God with it. And only when I go to God do I get relieved of the guilt and anxiety of what I did to Tom. Does that make sense? Because if I don't go to God with it, I still don't feel good when I'm around Tom. I still feel guilty. I still feel shame. I still feel all those things. If I want my sins to be forgiven to where I can walk in peace with people, I have to get on my knees and go, God, look, Tom forgave me, but I hurt your heart. What I did was not good. Um, and remember that the scriptures say that if you confess your sins, you'll be forgiven. What's the antithesis to that? If you don't confess your sins, you, confess your sins, you won't be forgiven. Why do we walk around with shame about many things we've done in the past? We've never truly taken it to God. He says, if you take it to me, your sins will be as far as the east is from the west. You'll be as clean as snow, right? And so there are times, okay, where we as believers can impart that truth to somebody and help them get there. So for instance, um, let's say somebody um, went off to uh, war and did some things that they considered horrible, right? And they come back. I can't forgive what they've done. That's not my job. But I can let them know that forgiveness is available to them. You know what I mean? So our job often is to point people to go spend time with God. And so it's important to realize what's going on here. Jesus looks at this man and says, your sins are forgiven. Okay? He doesn't say, your offense to me of tearing down the roof is forgiven. He doesn't say, interrupting my sermon is forgiven. He says, your sins are forgiven you. Okay? Yes? In, in the last half of uh, verse 17, when you pointed that out, uh -huh. it says, and the power of the Lord is with him to heal. Yeah. Yep. When God forgives your sin, you're you being healed. Yes. And you set the captives free. That's what setting captives free is all about. Okay. Yes, I'm a sinner, but I'm forgiven. Yes, I'm a sinner, but I've confessed that to God and it's gone. Okay. Uh, I don't have to live in the past anymore because God and I have cleared that up. Right. Mm -hmm. So now he says, and the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question. Okay. Now notice in the first 17. Okay. Again, one of the things I always talk about. Order is important. In verse 17, what's the order of these two groups? Pharisees and teachers. Okay, and in verse 21, what's the order? Scribes and Pharisees. Why did it flip? Order is always important in the Bible. Why in verse 17 are the Pharisees first and in verse 20 the Pharisees are second? Don't you just love these questions? The scribes knew the word what? The scribes knew the word better. The rabbis knew the word Okay, let's, let's look at it this way. What are the Pharisees expert in? The law. The law. Mosaic law. Okay, so from their perspective, Mosaic law says that man can't forgive sins, right? 
who really has the judge of that decision? The rabbis. The rabbis, the teachers of the law. The reason the rabbis are first now is we've now moved into their realm. This isn't about is, is telling somebody their sins forgiven breaking Mosaic law. Yes, it is. That's not the question. The question now is moved to, did he just claim to be God and is he blaspheming or not? Okay. Now the Pharisees come first. I mean, the, the uh, teachers of the law come first, rabbis. Okay, so now it says, um, let's see here. Uh, they begin to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Okay, now, who are they talking to when they're questioning? Each other. Each other? Okay. Are they challenging Jesus? They're probably whispering Exactly. How do we know? It's not probably they are. I mean, they're literally going, did he just say what I thought he said? Did he just say what I thought he said? That's, that's blasphemy. That's, I mean, they're talking among themselves. We know that because in verse 22, it says, when Jesus perceived their thoughts. Okay. So they're not speaking loud enough for him to hear, but he knows what they're saying. Right. And they're saying exactly what he wants them to say. He probably actually knew what their thoughts would be of course. before their thoughts, which is why he said what he said what he said. Yes, before he said what he said that he knew they would say when they said what they said, before they said it. Yeah. Okay, and that's all true. And uh, so the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Why is he speaking a blasphemy? What is blasphemy? Any time a man puts himself in place of God, okay. he's blaspheming again. Exactly. Okay. And what's the punishment of blasphemy? Stoning. Stoning and death. Okay. Now, he says, who can forgive sins but God alone? What's the answer to that question? No one. No one except God. Okay. Now, what makes this a sin? If he's not God. If he's not God. If he is God, it's not a sin. Right. Okay? Now, he says, man, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Okay? So he does this all the time, and I think it really hurts people up. They're thinking, and he says, I know what you're thinking. Here's the answer. Right? And he says, why do you question in your hearts? What a weird thing to say. Why is it weird? Exactly. This isn't about a brain issue. This is a heart issue. Right? He cuts right to the chase. Why are you questioning in your hearts? This isn't about Mosaic law. This isn't about whether I've sinned. This is you trying to decide in your heart who I really am. That's your question. You're questioning in your heart whether I'm God or not. So he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? So which is easier? They're both impossible. Okay, but which do you think is easier? He didn't say which is possible. Your sins are forgiven. What? Your sins are forgiven. Well, it's easier. Is that easier? It's easier to say that because you're not because you would be afraid to say get up and walk because you're not going to be right. God. I don't have to prove it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. If I tell somebody, "Hey, your sins are forgiven," everybody in the room goes, "Oh, okay." <laughs> but if I say get up and walk, and you don't get up and walk, then you know problem, right? So Jesus says, which is easier? Okay, now, which is actually easier? What do you think? From, from our perspective, it's easier to say rise and walk because all that proves is that we don't have healing. Okay. If they don't. All right. But, but to say your sins are forgiven you and you don't have the authority to do that, that's a problem. Exactly. So basically what he's saying is, okay, your sins are forgiven you. They want to know, what, he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. Okay, now, Jesus is telling them here in the question, I can say either. The net result's the same. Okay. I can say your sins are forgiven. I can say get up and walk. Which is harder? Get up and walk. Okay. So now if I tell them to get up and walk, you know I could have told them the sins are forgiven. Right? I'm, I'm thinking that it would be harder for him 
say your sins are forgiven because to do that, he has to die. Yes. But we're not talking about the action. We're talking about the speech, the promise. Okay. If I'm in a room, I can easier say your sins are forgiven than to actually tell somebody to get up and walk. Right. Now, Jesus, actually, the answer here, he can do, of course, both. And he even says that. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, your rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Okay? In other words, he says, look, you don't think I have the authority. You don't think I'm God. But because you don't think I'm God, I'm going to do the hard thing and tell him to get up. And then when he gets up, you're going to know I'm God. Okay? So he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he'd been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Okay? And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Okay? You know what's always amazed me about this account is that when he picked up his bed, he didn't go back up through the ceiling. He turned and walked out the door that he, they were trying to get him in in the first place. And all Split of this unbelief parted like the Red Sea. Right. And there, were, and there were people in the crowd that all of a sudden believed, yes, he is the Messiah. Right. Now, there's several things that are symbolic here that we need to pay attention to. Okay. Notice that when Jesus heals, he completely heals and he does it immediately. Okay? Mm -hmm. Every time Jesus heals, the healing is immediate. Now, it may require you do something. Go and wash your face in the pool of Siloam and you'll see. But as soon as you do that thing, the healing comes. Okay? It's not a partial healing. It's not a sort of healing. It's an all-out healing. Okay? It's not a temporary improvement. You know, it's, it's done. Okay, so when he heals, he completely heals. Now, he says this guy immediately rose before him, picked up what he'd been lying on, and went home. And then it says amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we've seen extraordinary things today. Who is they? It has to be the... Sadducees or the Pharisees and the people who were there. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So do you think they're believers? Now they've no. seen a miracle. No. no. No, why not? They're saying we've seen strange things today, not... Yes, we've seen extraordinarily we've seen strange yeah, things no. today. Not miracles or we've or not God. 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 Yeah. What's the problem with <laughs> this so statement? It says they were filled with fear. Fear and yeah, and I think that fear is something crazy just happened here. I mean, that dude got up something and he walked. Didn't understand. Okay, all right. So, how are these guys? Are they any different from the demons who knew who Jesus was? But it says right here, they amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe. And then they went home and thought about it. Exactly. And they and they realized that, well, if this is happening, I'm going to lose my place and position. And they didn't want exactly. that to happen. And don't and so they they I, I always go to the parable of the uh, the vineyard where uh-huh. the, the the good man sent his servants and they killed the servants and then he said, Finally I'll send my son, they will reverence him. And the response was this is the heir. Let's kill him and seize the kingdom. Yep. Yep. And so now we have a room full of Sadducees and Pharisees who are amazed, but still in their hearts thinking Jesus just claimed to be God. And we're not ready for him to be God. Okay. Now, how many times do you think people walk into a church every week, see amazing things, Praise God and go home and have no intention of being surrendered to the Savior. Constantly. Okay. 
Don't miss the symbolism of what's happening in this room, that room back then. You have a man who goes to Jesus, has enough faith, or his friends do, and he gets up and walks out a completely new person, completely healed. And now a believer in Jesus, he leaves worshiping and praising and glorifying God, right? He went home glorifying God. Okay, so you got the dude that was healed, his sins are forgiven, he's a new person, he gets up and parts the crowd and goes home glorifying God. Okay, now, there's another group glorifying God. His friends on the top of the roof. They're up there. Who else is glorifying God? Well, we're told... Amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe. Okay? So everybody in the story leaves glorified, glorifying God. It's not enough. Okay? It's just not enough. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, some people glorified God because their sins are forgiven and they're new people. Other people glorify God because they go, wow, that was weird. That was wild. Wow. Way to go, God. That was cool. What did nobody ask in this story that was the most important thing to ask? How'd you do that? Who are you? Uh-oh. Can you forgive my sins too? Nobody asked. That was the key question. Okay. The key question was, I'm a sinner too. Can you forgive my sins the way you just forgave his? Because I believe you're God. Right? Nobody said that. Why? Because they didn't believe. Okay? Because they were Sadducees and Pharisees and they're sticking up to the law and they didn't believe he could be God. They're now trying to figure out how to catch him blasphemy again so they can get rid of this problem. But the response to somebody being saved is, can I be saved too? That's the power of this particular story. Is you have two groups of people glorifying God, only one asked or had a faith, or was put in a position to actually trust and meet Jesus to really be set free. The other one's left to go prepare a battle. Does that make sense? Thoughts about that? Oh, yeah, and I think, Fire you know, a lot of people, will, you know, they'll go to, um, I mean, I don't want to blast people too much, but they'll go to a, a religious conference or Promise Keepers or Women of Faith or whatever it is, and they'll have a great weekend, and they'll sing songs, and they'll worship God, and they'll, it'll be the most incredible moment of their life, and they'll all leave praising God, and they'll all leave doing whatever, but that's not why he came. Mm-hmm. He came so that in the presence of holy God, you know you're a sinner and you would ask for your sins to be forgiven you. Okay? And that takes humility. That takes brokenness. Okay? So, and it takes recognizing that you are no better than the leper. That's correct. Or, or anybody else. Or the paralytic. Or, or anybody else that is in a lesser state than what we are because actually our state is just as right. depraved as anyone else's. Now, why do you think they didn't Christ? why do you think they didn't ask for their sins to be forgiven? Because why they didn't think they needed to have them forgiven. Because they were the teachers of the law. Yeah, they didn't believe he was God. They didn't yet have the Holy Spirit. Either. Or they, they believed he was God them. and they thought since he's God, God would already know how perfect they are. Mm-hmm. There were those, yeah. Right? There's also a scripture that said God does not hate the spirit of fear, and they said they had fear, filled with fear. Well, the problem is fear is a difficult word in scripture because it can mean wonder. Fear uh, Lord, there's fear, it means fear, but it also means can mean wonder or amazement or, I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter how it happens. If a paralytic man we've seen laying in the streets for 20 years suddenly somebody says get up and walk and he gets up and walk we're all going to be blown away right but we're all left looking at that situation trying to determine what just happened here okay now remember the discussion was can i forgive sins or can i heal somebody okay think about how bizarre both of those are they're both incredibly miraculous things (laughs) you know what i mean i mean 
the question here wasn't, I mean, Jesus healed him. That, they didn't go around and go, well, he wasn't healed. That was fake. He wasn't really, he wasn't really paralyzed. They couldn't do that. He healed him. And he forgave his sins. Okay? And only one person left that room eternally connected to Jesus. Okay? Now, we don't know what happened to his friends on the roof, but hopefully at some point they came to the same conclusion he came to. Okay? But I think it's important to realize in this story, it ends with everybody glorifying God mm-hmm. and nobody surrendering to him. Yes. We hear that account in the Old Testament. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Well, when he says, friend, your sins are forgiven you, that's when they question who he is and the blasphemy. Yes. And then he heals him physically. Yep. And that's when they start to glorify. So they weren't glorifying that he forgave his sins. They were glorifying that he healed the man. Yes, show me another. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. essentially the passage. There's a scripture where Jesus does, he feeds the 5,000 and he heals so many and, and he walks on water and yet they still don't, he talks about how there's people that still don't believe. Well, and they say, give us a sign. Yeah. And he's like, mm-hmm. what have I been doing for the last yeah. hour? How long? do you need? So yeah. they're going to go home and say, oh man, it was really cool. He healed this paralytic and he got up and walked. Yeah. But. Right. It was a really good service. What was it about? Yeah. How many times have you? Understood. How, how many times have you seen a um, uh, healing sin uh, event at a, at a conference center? You know, you see healing events all the time. Come and I will heal you. No, you won't. Um, but the point here is that. Which, which is the greatest thing that happened? That his sins are forgiven or that he could get up and walk? His sins are forgiven. If Jesus had said your sins are forgiven and never told to get up and walk, he's still forgiven. in a yeah. major place. Okay? Mm-hmm. The get up and walk part wasn't even the deal. The deal was your sins are forgiven. Right. Now, the get up and walk part means I'm God. I just solved his problem. Deal with it, right? And oh, by the way, I happen to know I forgave his sins. And guess what? He knows too, right? Who do we confess our sins to? God, right? He knew when he left that he had been forgiven because he had met God, okay? He leaves glorifying. This tells you that people can glorify what Jesus does and not glorify what who Jesus is. Okay, mm-hmm. got that? Yeah. It happens all the time. People glorify what Jesus does <coughs> instead of glorifying who he is if he does nothing else. Okay, that's a really critical thing to process. In other words, if Jesus never did another single thing for you, if you lived a Job life, are you okay? Or does he need to keep wowing you over and over with stuff? Okay, and I spoke this last weekend about how one of the fastest growing false gospels in the world is Jesus, give me more money, right? The prosperity gospel, give me money. Um, And those are the wow people. They're the show me something. Look at look at this, you know, give me this, give me this, give me this. Um, And many of them want what Jesus offers and never know him. And that's exactly what he's going to tell them at some point. I'm sorry, I never knew you. I did a lot. You did a lot in my name. You were out there doing stuff, boy. Woo. You're out there throwing out demons and doing all kinds of things. And people left you going, wow, that was amazing. You never knew me. That's interesting because the gift of having your sins forgiven is a gift that you have to receive. And you have to go to God to get. Yes. There's nowhere else to go. Yes. And you have to go to the one who paid the price. Yes. That's the important thing. So one of the things I want you to see, though, is we started out, I mean, there's a lot in this. And I think um, um, the last statement to me is ironically pathetic. We have seen extraordinary things today. 
We totally missed what they meant. We missed our chance at salvation, but boy, we've seen some cool stuff. Um, nobody asked for their sins to be forgiven like his were. Because to them, as you said, the great miracle was that he walked, not that his sins were forgiven. Okay? Why do you think that wasn't a miracle for the Sadducees and Pharisees? Because they didn't believe he was, he could be God. Well, part of it is they didn't think they needed their sins forgiven. They're Pharisees. They follow the Mosaic law. They're perfect. What do they need? In fact, Jesus will say very soon, um, or maybe said already, I think, um, physician comes to those who need to be healed, right? The sick. In order to go to a physician, you got to recognize you're sick, right? They didn't recognize they were sick. They're in the presence of God doing miraculous things, forgiving sins, claiming to be God, and their response is, wow, we've seen extraordinary things. That was amazing, but I don't need that because I'm not sick. Okay? Matthew, Matthew 13, 15. For the heart of this people has grown gross, and with their ears they have been dull of hearing, and their eyes they have shut, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. Right. <coughs> yep. Let me um, close with a couple things. Um, see if I can find out something I wanted to say. This section of this of the Bible really talks about four things that Jesus does that are unique. Okay. One of them I sort of mentioned, he performed the wrong kind of healing. Okay. The reason the Pharisees had problems with Jesus is he did everything wrong. He performed the wrong kind of healing. He healed a leper and he touched them. Okay. So that's, that's one problem. The second thing is he preached the wrong theology. Okay. He preached as God. He preached that he would be able to heal. Um, next, we're going to see he hangs out in the wrong company, tax collectors, sinners. And then last, that he has the wrong attitude. Okay, now, it's important to realize there's a pattern of what we're seeing here. He calls his four disciples. He heals a man with leprosy, okay? He's going out of his way to do things. Now, what did the Pharisees and Sadducees who traveled from all over the place to come see him not do? They didn't heal anybody, right? So he basically does the wrong kind of things. Next week, we're going to talk about how he selects out somebody he shouldn't even be talking to and says, follow me. I mean, the lowest thing you can become other than a leper is probably a tax collector. Okay, the zealots at least had some respect among the Jewish people. At least they're fighting for us. The tax collector is the one who sold out to the Romans to oppress his own people and get rich off of their suffering. They were despised. Uh, and we're going to see that next week when Jesus turns to Matthew and says, follow me, right? So tonight what I want you to realize is some of the most spiritual people in some of the highest spiritual positions in all of Judea, Galilee, and the Holy Land were in that room that day. They should have seen him. They should have recognized him. They should have known. And they knew the Mosaic Law. They knew the Scriptures. And they completely missed him because they were too full of themselves. Okay? Same thing happens in churches today. Um, I know people that have come to church different churches for a long time, but they're never humble enough to actually surrender. And that's why I keep saying the most important thing we have to do as believers is surrender. If we can surrender, he'll do everything else. Okay. This man presented to Jesus on a mat, completely surrendered, maybe even out of faith, maybe not even knowing what would happen. Uh, likely thinking this is a wasted thing. And now I'm going to be publicly embarrassed again. Mm -hmm. He had a lot to lose. Okay, his friends, for all we know, took him up there kicking and screaming. 
If this didn't work out, he's another fool another time. You know what I mean? So there's a lot in this story. And this story is different than a parable. Okay, A parable is a story that teaches a single lesson that's a made-up story. This is a real event, a moment in human history when they went and did these things. Okay, And I talk a lot when I try to help people understand the Bible is to to meditate on scripture. This is a great one to meditate on. Okay, now a lot of people who meditate, they freak out. Meditation is simply putting yourself in the story. What was it like to sit there and watch the roof start to fall apart? What was it like for people to go, whoa, what is going, what in the world is, did people run to the exits? Did they think it was an earthquake? I mean, and Jesus probably was unfazed. He's just teaching. And, you know, and, and so picture the room, picture what was going on. And then that wasn't even the event. The event was this guy's lowered down and Jesus makes him get up and walk. I mean, spend some time meditating on what it must have been to be in that picture. What would it have been like to be, think of somebody like, I've had several friends of mine that have died of really painful diseases. What would it have been like to be the person up on the roof when you lowered them to Jesus and Jesus healed them? I mean, I don't think you touched a step coming down. Um, I've often wondered, did they just fall through the roof and follow him? Mm-hmm. Did they run? I mean, I guarantee you there was a reunion that happened out there. Um, and, you know, when you begin to picture what happened, I'm not saying put things in that weren't there. I'm saying take the story you're given, use your visual mind that God gave you, and think about what was it like to be in that room on that day, in that moment when Jesus for the first time declared himself to be God, at least according to this passage, and for the first time is challenged as not being God. Okay? We know the rest of the story, so we know the Pharisees are never going to believe him. But when this happened, for all they knew, they were going to surrender to their Messiah. He just proved himself to be God, right? So think about this story because there's a lot in it. Um, just because somebody's glorifying God doesn't mean they know him. Mm-hmm. How will you know the difference? You'll know by the fruit. People can glorify God all day long, but if their lives don't measure up to the fruit of the Spirit, they've got a problem. Does that make sense? So, um, and walking away saying you've seen extraordinary things doesn't mean anything either. Walk out into creation, you see extraordinary things. All you got to do is walk around the planet. You know God exists. It's not enough. It's not enough to believe he can do miracles. The demons believed it and so did the Sadducees. It's not enough to believe that. You have to surrender and encounter him on your own regarding your own sins so that you can be forgiven and get up and walk in a way you've never walked before. Does that make sense? Any final thoughts before we close out? Yes, ma'am. Um, the only thing I thought of while reading this is when you were talking about sitting and standing. Uh-huh. I actually picture Jesus being the only one who sits through the whole thing. Probably. Particularly when the roof's coming in. Yeah. Just, I mean, just like a, a very calm demeanor. And like you said, if he's sitting, he's teaching. Right. And what if like, like no dust <laughs> hit him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, it's um, it's not a small hole. I mean. Yeah, it couldn't be. And I happen to think, here's the other thing I think. I don't think this guy was lowered down like this. <laughs> I think he came down like this. Because, <laughs> I mean, these guys hadn't practiced this. This wasn't like a circus event where they, you know, practiced. I think the dude probably fell off the mat almost before he got to Jesus' feet. I think there's a large part of this thing that's just funny. I think. I think it's just funny. I think the Sadducees and the Pharisees are freaking out, going, "He should go to jail for that." Why? You know, you know that's against the law. What, what is he doing? And Jesus is just like, you know. And I always wonder. People talk about, you know, when Jesus wrote in the sand. What did he write? I always want to know what was he teaching here. What, which passage did he choose to teach on, knowing he'd be interrupted by the ceiling fan? I mean, I always wonder, like, what was he teaching? Um, so. 
Uh, it says he, they let him down with his stretcher, not on his stretcher. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It could have just collapsed the whole thing. Catch. Uh, um, yeah, now he's got a head injury. Um, but, um, yeah, and I think this is a classic story of the difference between encountering Jesus and having your sins forgiven and the difference of receiving a miracle. Okay. One final thing I'd say is, you know, this whole story sets up from Jesus's question, which is easier, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk, right? And um, I tell people this periodically. You don't want the healing if it doesn't come with salvation. Okay. Everybody who was healed by Jesus died. Okay. The people that could see died. The people that were paralyzed, paralyzed died. Okay. You don't want the healing if it doesn't come with salvation. Okay. And you want the salvation even if you're never healed. Does that make sense? All of us are going to come to a point in our lives where some doctor or somebody's going to tell us that we're almost done. And it's important when that happens to realize that um, um, the forgiveness of our sins is enough. It's just enough. I mean, if you had a choice of I'll never be healed, but I know I'm forgiven and I know where I'm going. That's all we need. Okay. If the alternative is I'll be healed in this lifetime and not experience that, you don't want that. Right? As bad as you think you do, you don't. Um, you know, I mean, I've been in some times when I've prayed some pretty desperate prayers for healing. And as much as you want to be healed on this earth, that's not really the goal. That makes sense? Um, so, uh, any final thoughts about this passage? A lot in it, right? Well, there's a lot more than I imagined there is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, who wants to pray us out? Tom, pray us out. Sure. God, thank you for this Bible study. It's very uh, uh, enriching to our minds. Thank you for this church, and uh, please bless bless our church family. Uh, please help us abide in you each and every day. Please help us surrender to you. And Just gonna say in Jesus' name, please get us home safely tonight. Amen. 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 Thank you.